I'm going to be very candid with you. We are living in a computer program reality. Welcome, everyone, to Simulation Nation, your portal to all things virtual. I'm your host, Johnny Android, and I'm here to keep you informed about all that's happening in the metaverse. We record our episodes live in Allspace every week, and you can join us from your PC or VR headset. Just log into Allspace, join our Simulation Nation channel, and teleport in to offer your opinion, question, or whatever else. Today is the grand finale of Matrix Month as we review the newest film, Matrix Resurrections. To find out if his reality is a physical or mental construct, Mr. Anderson, a.k.a. Neo, will have to choose the, to, follow the, <laughs> to follow the white rabbit once more. If he's learned anything, it's that choice, while an illusion, is still the only way out of or into the Matrix. Neo already knows what he has to do, but what he doesn't yet know is that the Matrix is more dangerous than ever before. Here to give us some perspective is all around master of the metaverse, Futurosity. Welcome back, Futurosity. Hey. Thank you so much for letting me return. This is going to be fun. Oh, right? man. I, I will have to say, you know, as we're finishing up Matrix Month and we covered Matrix 1, 2, 3, and then the new one, and you were with us uh, covering three of those four. So I just really want to uh, extend my you know, appreciation for your opinions, your thoughtfulness, uh, and you being able to be here. It's been awesome. And it's been so cool to just geek out on these movies with you. And I can't ask for a, a better partner in that in crime. So, so thank you for that. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. A great cool, time. cool, cool. We also got uh, Mikey here at Alejandro, and uh, we got you know Hero. What's happening? Mikey's got a very beautiful uh, winter sweater on and hat, and we uh, he has seen Matrix Resurrections. We are definitely going to get his uh, opinion on it, um, and we're going to get right into it as well. Do you have anything to start? Uh, I guess we'll just go right into overall thoughts. Uh, and, because they're still fresh in all of our minds. The movie literally premiered. A day ago, right? It premiered at HBO Max as well as theaters. Um, so let's just dive into overall thoughts. And Mikey, if you have uh, overall thoughts, please uh, uh, chime in. Use the raise hand option and chime in. So let's start with you, Futurosity. What'd you think? Well, I devoured this movie three times within 36 <laughs> hours awesome. or less. <laughs> I, I had an enjoyable experience. Right. The funny thing is, this movie. Is a metatextual work of art. Essentially, it's self-referential to the point of absurdity, and I think that's what I enjoyed the most about it. So, yeah, I look forward to getting into more detail, but overall, I have a really entertaining time. Right. It's definitely reviewable, you know, rewatchable, and you know, enjoyable on a couple different levels. Of course, there's always little things here and there that bother me. We'll get into all those details right. soon. Awesome. Well, I think I'm going to be the villain of today's episode, so uh, this is going to be perfect. <laughs> it's the old Siskel and Ebert state days when they used to like duke it out uh, because <laughs> – I was pretty disappointed, unfortunately. Uh, and I, I'll give you the TLDR. If, if you're here or you can't listen to the entire podcast episode, this is essentially my thoughts on the whole trilogy, is that I don't feel like the Wachowskis quite understood what they captured, what magic they captured with the original, and they were never able to replicate it. And here we are 20 years later, and they still haven't been able to tap into that thing that the first one did that all the other movies that they've ever made didn't do. And here's the, here's the super simple streamlined uh, example. Uh, aside from being a very cool 
very kick-ass cyberpunk martial arts sci-fi movie. It was more than anything a clear and articulate allegory for uh, waking up to the brainwashing that society gives you and sort of the nurture that society does uh, to your brain. And it forces you to think outside the box, think differently and escape uh, your brainwashing uh, in order to uh, find your own destiny, right? And they did it so well and so clearly in the first one that it kind of, it kind of transcended an action movie and became more of like an allegory. It became like, if I'm a 20 something and I'm searching for meaning, this is a movie that can really articulately show me a, an allegory for how to uh, escape my past or escape the world and, and think differently, right? And the part two reloaded, it didn't quite capture that. It just became this really intricate sci-fi story. Part three completely lost it. And I think Resurrections, again, kind of had a missed opportunity. So let me just like, I know I'm, I'm getting a little deep in overall thoughts, but let me, pitch, uh, let me pitch to you guys a very clear way that this movie could have gone that I would have loved probably. So if, if the first one is about a 20-something uh, trapped in their life and figuring out a way to escape it, then this was a perfect opportunity to have a 40-something-year-old guy who had never found his meaning in, in life and finally gets to find it. So it could have been that this is the version of Neo that didn't take the red pill. And because he chickened out for whatever reason, right? And so then 20 years goes by, he's trapped in his life. Uh, he's not happy in his marriage or his, his, his relationships are falling apart. His boss is an asshole. He hates his job. Maybe he's going broke. Maybe he's, his whole life is floundering. And the reason is because he's never able to live up to uh, his destiny, what he could have been. And then what happens is he gets awakened from his sort of 50-year-old slumber and goes uh, on to discover his destiny, which would have more replicated the allegorical nature of the first one. If it had done that movie where he had no recollection necessarily of the Matrix and had been the guy who didn't choose the red pill, I think this movie could have been incredible and it could have relaunched a whole new franchise and it would have been so clean and so uh, I think it would have spoke to uh, spoken to the audience of today for the next generation of people who are sort of entering the metaverse and virtual reality and all that stuff as a metaphor for thoughts and life and that kind of stuff. So that's my TLDR. Everybody, you know, podcast over. Thank you very much for coming. That's all I have to say. Good night. Um, so I, I definitely want to hear your thoughts on that. And if uh, Condor or Mikey or Jabo Grizzly or 64 Degrees, any of you guys have any anything to add, you agree or disagree, please use the raise hand option and let us know. because We definitely want this to be a discussion. I don't know. What do you, any thoughts on that futurosity before we move on? That was a lot. Well, and I think in many ways they could have offered that as an option, but they decided to become more subversive. Yep. Essentially, they pulled a Force Awakens on it. Yeah. You know, because we've seen this process in which you know a huge global corporation decides to remake something that hit the nail on its head perfectly decades ago, and they wanted to recapture the magic. But what they do is they grab a couple of the old folks and introduce a couple of new people and have a new adventure and essentially remake the original right? and did that to a T in this. But in many ways, it was extremely subversive because the Wachowskis 
never wanted to do the sequel in the first place. Right. That's the funniest part about it. So instead, they kind of delivered a very bizarre middle finger to their own producers <laughs> and right. the owners of the property in many ways. Right. So I, I enjoyed it on that level. Right. And I'll get into more detail, but I something about it just clicked with me. <laughs> right. But see, okay, but I also feel like I hate to say it, but they kind of gave a middle finger to the audience and the fans also. <laughs> like, I, they didn't give it. And I know that they talked about this in the movie. They were like, we're not going to give everyone what they want, but it sells, you know, but no, we're not going to do that. And I, so I guess the question is like, you're sort of saying that they knew what they had done in the first one and they chose not to replicate it. And I'm saying that I'm not so sure that they know exactly what magic they captured. And I think that they instead came up with this convoluted mess instead of just becoming simple and clear. And I hate to say this. Look, I think the Wachowskis did an incredible uh, uh, body of work, but I don't think they've ever recaptured the magic of the original Avengers, right? Throughout their entire career. And so something there leads me to believe, I don't know if they... Are, are in the same place where they can find that simplicity again and that clarity that they had in the original. I don't know. I, any, anyone else have any thoughts? You guys think that the Wachowskis knew they, they could have they done the good version of this movie but chose not to and chose to give the middle finger to everybody? Or do you think that it was just <laughs> like they, they you know, didn't know and they didn't know what they had in the original? Any thoughts? Anyone? Well, all right. Well, well, let's keep moving along then. But guys, if you do, please use the raise hand option and let us know. But um, all right, so let's see here. Let's get into the plot. I know I've kind of we kind of have been talking about it already. Um, I guess I'll give you I'll give the super streamlined version of the plot as I understand it. Although it it gets a little crazy and it kind of changes sort of mid stride. But essentially, okay, so I'm not even sure, but I think this movie takes place 60 years after the original not the 20 that we first think it is, right? So it's it's 60 years later and Neo has had has memories of everything that happened in the first trilogy, but he's starting to second guess himself and he thinks he's going insane essentially and so he sees a therapist to help him with all of his memories and thoughts and this trauma of the past, but that he doesn't think is real. He's not sure. He also sees this girl in this coffee shop every week. Uh, that looks like Trinity, which is a girl that he uh, remembers, but doesn't know. She doesn't recognize him. He doesn't recognize her. So there's a lot of like illusion versus reality going on. In the meantime, from these dream images that he has from when he was younger, he's created a video game called Binary, which is a Matrix-like video game where he took all the ideas of the original trilogy and put it in this video game. It's very meta, right? And then essentially what happens is uh, he goes into, uh, again, Morpheus comes to him. Again, he takes the pill, and again, he discovers that it wasn't a dream all along. It was real, and that uh, the Matrix is more powerful now, and that the big bad guy is his therapist, which is kind of crazy, who has been brainwashing him and giving him <laughs> blue pills all this time. Uh, and he's got to go in, and he's got to not only take down the therapist, but he's also got to save Trinity, who is still plugged into the Matrix and still enslaved to the system. How did I do? Yeah, that, that's a good, accurate description. All right. All right. Great. So uh, what do you what do you think? What do you think of that plot? Well, I'll tell you the truth. I love the opening sequence. Mm. Essentially, we're in a modal, you know, it's a segment of the old matrix that's a testing ground for software. 
Because remember, when we think of the term agent, you know, within the Matrix universe, it matches the real world. We have AI agents who we use to go through multiple scenarios in an enclosed environment in order to train itself. Mm -hmm. So by training agents, it helps make AI smarter. That's essentially what Neo, or in this case, Thomas Anderson, started off with. He created a miniature version of the Matrix, essentially free himself from a prison he wasn't aware that he was in at the time. So I thought it was a cool concept, essentially creating a Morpheus character within this video game and creating a, a smaller version of the world to recreate that opening sequence of the first Matrix movie over and over again, which ultimately led to his freedom. Essentially, he was freed by Morpheus once again, but in the form of an AI. So I thought it was a really cool callback to the original movie Mm -hmm. by allowing us to see this impossible prison that Neo is in within his own mind. But the fact that he was smart enough to think of one way out, the best way to get out of simulation is to create another simulation within it. I thought that was a really cool concept. So conceptually, I thought it was a cool opening and also seeing a machine or a sentient in this case, get red pilled. That was a new concept. We haven't had a chance to explore yet within the matrix universe, but by this digital Morpheus taking the pill and ultimately freeing Neo freeing his mind a second time around. I thought it was a nice way to kind of wrap that present. You know, Mm -hmm. once again, this is a nostalgia fest. They were forcing nostalgia down our Mm -hmm. throats and laughing all the way through. That kind of worked. Yeah. No, so so the elements that I do appreciate, look, I think that it's super clever what they were trying to pull off, right? I think it was insanely stylish. Like, you know, you guys look pretty stylish. Cornelius over there, you got some, some darn good looking hair and Hero in here has some cool hair. But, uh, you know, the movie looks awesome. Like, I mean, it, it, it's so cool, right? And... I, I so those elements it has going for it. this the tongue in cheek sense of humor that they have where it's kind of a satire on the movie making process with the Warner Brothers actually being mentioned in the movie and that they're going to make a matrix without them and all, all this kind of stuff like all that stuff that that sense of irreverent humor I love right all that stuff is great I think where we're going to disagree is that uh it's like the writers and the directors did a great job of the mountain of climbing the mountain that they chose to climb. I just think that they chose to climb the wrong mountain. Right? <laughs> I wanted I wanted them to make I wanted them to climb this mountain over here and give me what I want to see and they decided to go over there and give me a different mountain which I wasn't happy about. So that's sort of like I think our big difference here. But, you know, I think that I think that they did what they did with great skill. Right. I just don't think that it was what I wanted. And I want to know what you guys think. I don't I want to know if it was what you guys wanted, if it paid off for you, the experience of the new Matrix that you wanted to see. So I don't know if Mox has any thoughts or Tin Man or Disco or Steelbook, but please use the raise hand option. We definitely want to hear uh, what you uh, what you think about that. Um, All right. So we got a few thoughts here. Uh, Let's start with Mikey. the you know the new Morpheus and the new Smith uh, and, and um they're no this is they um they were good don't get me wrong but uh I kind of wish they would have you know brought back Hugo Weaving and and uh, Lawrence Fishburne for even if they were silly for a few minutes and no speaking lines that would be I kind of that would been cool totally yeah you know uh. I did. I did read a little bit about that. Hugo Weaving, his 
his contract fell apart in negotiation. And so they actually originally reached out to Hugo Weaving to reprise his role, but then he had a contract dispute and then he had um, something in his, uh, in the, his timeline when they were going to make the movie, he was off doing something else. So he had a little bit of a conflict there and they just said, screw it, we'll recast him. Uh, as far as um, Lawrence Fishburne, I have heard nothing about why they didn't invite Lawrence Fishburne back. Do you have any insights uh, into that? Oh, Lawrence Fishburne's character Morpheus died in the video game um, that was connected to the Matrix trilogy. Right. Um, so his character is dead within the canon of the world. Um, he was assassinated um, within the Enter the Matrix game series. Oh. Um, it was the online game. So they had a massive multiplayer online world and it featured Morpheus and many other familiar characters. So he technically is dead and gone. Um, I see. That was the main point. Um, yeah, they, they kept it, you know, that same continuity. They didn't want to get rid of it. So that's why we had the AI version. I see. New like, artificial intelligent version of Morpheus. And stuff. I mean, but let's face it, though. You could argue that Neo died in Revolutions. And, and in a world like this, where they just construct somebody as to play Morpheus anyway, they could have just constructed someone that looked like the original actor. So I, 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 I love that, they, that that's a really great insight, but at the same time, they, they could have gotten around that very easily if they chose to. So I, maybe we'll never know. I don't know. Uh, all right, so Jawbone, Jawbone's got something to say here. What's happening, Jawbone? What do you think? So my biggest gripes are probably really petty, but the two things that stuck out to me that I can't stop thinking about is like the agents and the cops having worse aim than stormtroopers, <laughs> and the whole like final action sequence is just like Neo like pushing his hands at <laughs> the entire time. That's, that is true. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Those two things just like really, they just stick out to me. It's like, I feel like they could have been, a little bit more like, i don't know i like the guns like i feel like this one he was just like oh i'm just like so good i don't need guns or right. anything i can just blast everything away with my hands you know i want which i get it i mean if you're that good in the matrix that's probably all you would do you know it's like why even bother with guns but totally you know it just felt kind of cheap to me i have a feeling that it has to do with the fact that we have mass shootings now because you know there's a there was a a case where a son uh watched the matrix over and over and over and over again and then killed his parents in a execution style gunfight as though he was neo and the defense from his lawyers was called the matrix defense where he believed that he was in a simulation and therefore his parents were agents and he had to kill them and so i wonder if that's part of the rationale behind not using guns and not glor glorifying and glamorizing gun use in this movie I don't know. I'm glad you brought that up because um, that's definitely something I noticed. Um, there is a certain softening of violence mm -hmm. um, with modern remakes of movies, mm -hmm. even on um, things like Star Wars. You know, oh, and the remakes and the prequels, oh, they're fighting robots. They're not fighting people anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely noticed a softening of violence. Um, Neo was essentially mostly defensive in this mm -hmm. movie rather than offensive. Mm -hmm. And it definitely is a modernization because keep in mind when the original movie came out in 1999, um, Columbine happened shortly right. later. I mean, of course, they weren't connected, but the visuals of a trench yeah. coat wearing person you know, shooting individuals. And also, I noticed they toned down the violence by making the humans that did attack bots. 
versus actual people within the Matrix who are within a pod who are taken over by agents in the original movie. This uh-huh. time around, they're actually yeah, pods you're right. that were interacting with regular people. Mm. So that definitely toned down the violence almost like 80%. Mm-hmm. Because originally, the good guys were killing other right. humans who happened to be inhabited by agents. This time around, they're only shooting digital people. So that's a huge change well, in the Matrix. And it, you're right. And it goes even further than that, because if you think of the original Matrix, they weren't even killing humans that were with extra, uh, that had uh, agents in them. They were killing humans that were working for the system. So they were killing the security yeah. guards. They were doing their job protecting a building that weren't even inhabited by agents. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Um, well, anyway, thanks, Jawbone. That's a really uh, <laughs> petty, p- petty maybe, but very, uh, very true. And, and probably there's a good reason for that kind of stuff, too. So, all right, Mikey, what do you got to say? Okay, um, I thought just one more thing. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris, you know, as, uh, was it the analyst, I think? Is that yeah. who he was? Yeah, he, um, I thought, uh, he actually surprised me, you know, in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, do you like his character or you liked his performance or both? Um, um, I like both. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I thought, I thought, you know, I think it's a very interesting character, and I'm, I, I almost the 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 only thing with it is that I, I feel like it's almost like an inside joke with Lana Wachowski to herself. Like, I feel like she must have had some really bad therapists in her time. And now the the ultimate evil in the world is a therapist who's trying to help them through the situation. Did anyone else find that a little strange where it's like, oh, I guess Lana really hates her therapist because if she, if she has one. I had some issues with that. <laughs> I did have some issues just because personally, I, I've seen many people who are struggling with various forms of mental illness that needed various you know, chemical mood regulators to live a normal life. And at times, it's a classic sci-fi trope of don't trust your doctor, that medicine is trying to control you. But also, it kind of fits into real-world mental health issues where people are, you know, essentially disassociating and believing that everyone's against them. So it's that weird balance of, you know, fiction versus reality, where in reality, most likely, the medicine is going to help. But in the fictional world, the medicine is part of the control system. Mm. So unfortunately, it's, it is a mixed message, you know, where, hey, we understand how modern science helps people with you know, chemical issues. And now we have like, you know, amazing you know, neurotropic drugs that can actually help people live fulfilling, normalized lives. So yeah. it is hard to say, well, it, the message is somewhat dangerous in big quotes. And it's obviously false compared to reality but it's still a movie so it follows its own special rules yeah but um, i could definitely see that there's there is a definite message of you know that's against mental health um awareness and mental health therapy so i do kind of you know lean against that many ways i say hey you know this is a kind of a bad message especially in modern times of this lockdown where we've noticed millions of people experiencing you know mental trauma from being isolated that a lot of people do need help. So I'm hoping that people don't walk away with the message that they don't need help because I, let's face reality. Many people do. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's also true that oftentimes a therapist, they're, they're trying to free people from the entrapments of their own mind. But in this way, it's sort of, Oh no, those people are actually making you more entrapped into the labyrinth of your mind, but that's not always true in the real world. And so again, it's kind of this like, tongue-in-cheek, sardonic humor that gets lost along the way because there's a, a, 
it's sort of something that's a little bit inauthentic about it or, or something. Like if there's any villain in the world to pick on, is it really the therapists that are the ones that we're going to build our new sort of mythology around? I don't know. I, I, I guess I agree with that. I didn't, I, I love the character. I like the idea of the character. I thought Neil Patrick Harris did a really interesting job. I was just confused a little bit as to what they were driving at. Like what was, what were they, what was the purpose there? You know, meantime, we'll just, uh, uh, we're sort of already onto characters, so we'll just dive right into a little bit more of the characters here. Um, okay, so there's a whole bunch of different characters here. Uh, we sort of touched on uh, Morpheus on the uh, far right there. Um, he was, I think, a, a very interesting character in, in some ways. Number one, the fact that he is a digital creation. And then uh, I'm going to skip ahead for just a second here, but um, the fact that they, in the real world, created this kind of this um i guess you i don't know what you call it. it's like a it's like a sparrow cloud uh of neural net sparrow cloud uh it's kind of like um that movie um uh transcendence with uh johnny depp oh, right where they create these right. this nanobot cloud that represents a human i thought that that was a really interesting technological thing that they did because you know, they've always had uh, real people go into the simulated world, but we've never really had simulated people come out into the real world, uh, except, of course, Agent Smith in, in the final one of the trilogy. But we're going to forget about that. And I thought this was a very cool way to deal with that. How, what did you think of Morpheus? Oh, yeah. Well, you know what he reminds me of? Remember those little desktop novelties where it's all the little silver pins? Oh, yeah, and yeah. You press your hand into right. it. It creates an impression. Um, I like this system of like essentially magnetized ball bearings right. fleshing out a digital body in the real world. Right. So overall, it was a fun callback to the original. Mm -hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed the fact that he acknowledged the fact that he's playing a part. Mm -hmm. You know, he's like, hey, I know I'm supposed to be Morpheus. I'm learning more about him. I'm trying to even say his dialogue in a similar way from the original movie. It, even the, the restroom sequence mm -hmm. where he tries to free Neo's mind, right. you know, hey, you're in a bathroom and then suddenly Morpheus walks out just trying to be smooth and cool, but hey, you just walked out of a bathroom stall. It's not as cool as you right. thought. I, I love that self-reference once right. again, where the self-seriousness in the original movie, sometimes they had to you know, pull the rug from under your feet and say, okay, I know it's kind of ridiculous, but hey, let's try to reset the setting to create the mood a little bit better the second time around right. when they try to free him the second time. Yeah. But overall, I thought the Morpheus character, the technology that they used for him, it was fascinating. Mm -hmm. It opened up new possibilities mm -hmm. for what this new you know, machine, human-connected world is going to be like. And I mean, I actually see this as another stepping stone for the future for technology in the real world. Yeah. You know, many times science fiction kind of you know, enforces and you know, gives a little wink-wink at what could come next. I definitely see something like this coming next right. for bringing you know, artificial beings into reality. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I, the other interesting thing I thought about Morpheus as well is I think that, you know, obviously uh, Lana Wachowski is, is transgender. And so there's a lot of gender bending going on. And I thought it was interesting that Morpheus in this time when they did the dojo fight, he was wearing these drapey sort of pink red robes. And it kind of was like, you know, um, something that sort of gender bending in a certain way, uh, it, but very uh, uh, subtly. Um, and I know other characters are sort of subtle, uh, you know, you're not quite sure, um, you know, about gender and gender roles and all that kind of stuff. So I thought that was kind of interesting as well.
Oh yeah, even Morpheus's costume choices. Mm. You know, it was definitely more flamboyant, brighter yeah. colors. Remember the first three Matrix films, everyone's wearing all black. They're all muted and leathery. This time around, he's wearing like cool prints. Right. He's wearing like, you know, essentially like suede looking right. suits. You know, he looked really yeah. cool. I mean, all through his most colorful character. So I, I like that advancement with the character of Morpheus, even though it's the artificial version totally. of him. Um, and then, okay, so the other characters that I thought were interesting, Sati, obviously we called that one. Woo! We called that anyone yeah. who watched our oh, Matrix uh, Revolutions episode or listened to it. We, uh, we thought that that might have happened, and it did. So Sati was the little girl in Matrix Revolutions who was the only, she was born in the Matrix, and she was a program who was the only program ever to ha not have a purpose. And the only purpose essentially was that her parents loved her and uh, she needed to, to find her purpose. And she was able to create sunsets. And she was one of the uh, survivors at the end of Matrix Revolutions to go and live a life. And here she is grown up. That was kind of cool to see. What do you think uh, about her character that they in the way they dealt with it? I actually liked her somewhat symbiotic relationship with the um, AI bot that was, you know, the the kind of butterfly looking bot that was her friend. Mm. Um, they didn't really explain it, but a lot of people thought that they were one and the same, but it was actually her communicating through a sentient being. So I did like the fact that, you know, she couldn't access the outside world in the same way Morpheus did, but she was able to connect through, you know, essentially a proxy in the mm. form of that really beautiful looking machine. I thought it was interesting how, machines that were slowly more humanized mm. looked a little more naturalistic more like cuter animals like even the eye choices mm -hmm. made it look a little more you know sweeter and cuter and friendlier versus the squids and etc right so overall i thought she had a short but sweet moment in the film i mean she had a great purpose as far mm -hmm. as helping you know retrieve trinity out of the new matrix right um and also just the process of switching all these extra jacks you know the new matrix you notice everyone has two jacks now versus just one jack so you have an input and an output you have more ways to connect people yeah. so i thought they did have some fascinating sequences just acknowledging hey you know trinity now has two ports there's different ways to kind of sync people within and out of the matrix mm. and broadcast them in which that was another new concept yeah and i enjoyed that yeah, and it was kind of interesting also how she could look in the, um, I don't know if it was like a well that they were, the water, and she could see through yeah. to the other side. Like it was almost like an oracle there. So, you know, of course, yes. it should be said that it was one of the biggest uh, differences. There was no oracle. She didn't appear at all, if I'm not mistaken. And then also the architect wasn't there either. So she was the only one of those characters that were alive at the end of Matrix Revolutions who actually made their way into this movie. I, that was a curious choice as well that they weren't in there. Oh, now there are some other AI, but we'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, um, yeah. So if anyone has any other thoughts, Prestigious Regis, I love that name. That's really cool. Uh, Disco or Corb1111 or Root2, anyone has any thoughts on the new Matrix, please do uh, let us know as we go through here. Uh, all right. So then the, the other character, of course, uh, I'd like to say... Um, is Agent Smith, and I want to also say I called that one. Remember in Matrix Revolutions, I was like, wouldn't yep. it be cool if Agent Smith teamed up with Neo to take down the robots? And here we are. Uh, they, you know, clearly, uh, you know, Lana, contact me. I'm open for writing gigs. Uh, I would love, <laughs> I would, I would love to help you out with the next one. Um, but I thought that that was kind of interesting as well. Um, so I, I like the fact that they 
had cast this guy who was kind of like a cool studio executive type agent nowadays. Um, and he was sort of like, not like the man who's going to control you, but he sort of still is in a weird way. So I, I don't know. I like the I like the update to the Agent Smith character. Well, and also it was a callback to the original movie. Because remember, um, Thomas Anderson's original boss kind of had similarities with Agent Smith as well. So they kind of recalled that again, you know, because remember when Theo gets kind of, you know, taken down a notch at this boss's office, the cadence and rhythm of the voice in the original movie was very close to Smith's. Essentially, they kind of expanded on that concept. But what I like the most about the new Smith is the the nature of the binary nature, you know, yin and yang and how there's the dark and the light and how these things have to connect. And that this connection between, you know, diametric opposites somehow creates something new. I love the fact that they reinforce that once again, because you need to have a Smith. If you have a Neo, you need a Smith. If you have a Neo, you also need a Trinity. Those connections, you suddenly realize everyone is connected in some way or another to make themselves somewhat better. And in many ways, Neo made Smith better because of their interactions previously. So to bring him back, I I enjoyed that. I I liked the mystery at first. We were Mm -hmm. like, is this supposed to be Smith? The the callbacks, once again, for the the original, you know, kind of, help you through this mystery. Yep. All right. So, um yeah, I think those are those are the main interesting characters. Um, you know, I thought that um I think that Trinity was interesting in the sense that she was trapped in a marriage, but they didn't delve into it quite enough for me for it to really land where it's like she's maybe in a, a, a married to a guy she shouldn't be married to or it's the you know, she's trapped in a relationship that's a little bit abusive or I don't know what the what the problem would have been, but for her to free herself from that, um, I thought would have been an interesting character depth that we didn't quite get. And the fact that she had children was a very interesting dilemma. Um, you know, if she's got to divorce herself from this horrible husband, what's she going to do with the children? Of course, they kind of had an easy out where the children turned out to be uh, sort of, you know, uh, non-player characters, if you will, parts of the of the uh, sentient machine. But, um, uh, you know, I, I think that there was a, a little bit of a missed opportunity there for to deepen Trinity. Uh, and her have give us a little bit more of a connection to a problem that someone might have in the real world that they need to wake up from. But, um, but you know, it was, it was good. It was good. I'm glad that she was back. I love Carrie and Moss. I really do agree because I I wish they gave us a little sequence showing her day-to-day life a little bit more instead of this, this yearning that, you know, Neo had for her that, you know, from afar, you know, see her at the coffee shop. I wouldn't have minded to just have, one day in her life just for her to kind of feel the non-reality right. of it you know where suddenly starts wondering how do i know this man in my house is this really my husband you know why are these kids like this i, I wish that we just had a moment of her just seeing the artificial nature of her day-to-day life yeah if we only had that because we had it right. with neo we got to see him at the treadmill right. and repeating the same day at work over right. and over again hearing the same ideas regurgitated over right. and over just to see her just one day i think would have made a big yeah. difference some kind of sequence because this is a familiar sci-fi trope of everyone wakes up in a prison that they're not aware of. I mean, some, you see it in you know, things like you know, Doctor Who, for example. You know, everyone just wakes up and something feels weird right. and everyone kind of resolves the issue together and team up again on their own. Right. Kind of wish that Trinity had more agency. Yeah. It would allow her to kind of break free on exactly. her own and seek out Neo versus them kind of 
saving her. Because remember, when she drives right. up to the cafe, you know, to finally break free, I'm not sure if the Matrix brought her there, what compelled her to come there. I mean, there's like a thousand police officers and SWAT team people. What brought her there? You know, like that kind of yeah. stuff kind of bothered me. I wish they gave her a little more agency to choose and ultimately, you know, throw everything aside instead of being forced into a yeah. situation that made her choose. Totally. Um, Magic Mike, what's what you got? Can you yes, we can. This is my Magic Mike. Sweet. What do you think of? I'm today? pretty pretty good. What do you think of Matrix Resurrections? I haven't seen ah. it. But what do you guys think about? What do you guys think about? I'm sorry, I'm just a little emotional. Um, what do you guys think about the critics and how they've been saying that this is like the worst Matrix movie? Well, um, and also answer your opinions about Bofa. Well. Uh, good, good question. So we're going to give you our wow scores at the end of the episode. So you will know exactly what we think. Uh, and it looks like we may have, uh, differing opinions. So I think I'm definitely more on the negative side. Uh, Futurosity appreciated it a little more than I did. I don't think it's the worst matrix matrix revolution is by far the worst matrix. It's almost an unwatchable movie from the buy point of view. Um, but the the question for me is, is this on par with Matrix Reloaded or not? That's really where I'm sitting, but we'll 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 get there with the wow score. Ah. We'll get there. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, cool. Well, let's uh let's let's keep rolling along here. So we talked about Morpheus a bit. All right, so the tech we we sort of touched on that as well. These are their the three this is the only shot I could get of the three different robots, sentient robots that they've got in the outside world. I thought it was interesting, you know, because I do think that it's such a, a, a trope that robots are the evil ones in all of these sci-fi movies. But the thing we we'll, we discover is that robots are essentially tools that can, in the hands of whoever is controlling them, be good or evil. And so why not have that be the case in the new Matrix? So I'm glad that they found a way to blend that binary, if you will, where humans are good robots are bad and now we have some humans that are bad and some robots that are good maybe um so i did like that uh, about it and i did like the i thought they were really cool their design they were kind of uh this one sort of i guess it's like a praying mantis type robot i don't know but yeah they were fun uh and i thought that that was one of the more interesting um additions to the mythology uh in this new one I, I think the whole thing about cohabitation with machines, uh, that was one of the greatest points of the movie. Because remember, in the original trilogy, it was a war series. You know, they're at war, they're separate at all times. But then, you know, Niobe, the general, and she's maybe like 80 years old, I guess, by now, he realized that, hey, in order to, for us to survive, we have to get out of that war, us versus them mindset. We have to be able to you know, coordinate and cohabitate with these, you know, AI sentient mm -hmm. beings. I did enjoy that aspect. Um, and also the fact that the machines had a civil war of their own because of a lack of resources. Mm. People keep forgetting after the third Matrix movie, you know, they had to reboot the Matrix. So many minds were freed. They lost you know, potentially millions of pods in most cases. So they were low on energy mm. reserves. And whenever there's a scarcity of resources, someone's always going to fight. It doesn't matter if you're a super intelligent AI or just a human mm. being. When there's less of something, we're going to fight right. for it. 
So I did like that point of a war mindset versus peace mindset. Right. You can't have peace if everyone's separated still. You have to find a way to work together and integrate your worlds. Yeah, and I did like how they were... Another cool idea was their... Um, the greenhouse that they had where they were taking the memory of a strawberry and they were synthesizing it out in the real world in an organic matter. I thought that was pretty neat too, because those humans outside in the real world had never tasted what a strawberry tasted like. And so this was like, they had to take the memory from the digital uh, file and then transport that into organic matter. That's what that was really neat. Um, and you know, so I, I love that part, but I, I, I have to say that all of, the thing I didn't love about Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions is all of this inner human politics, which I thought just gets in the way of the story. Like, I don't need to know that some humans are against other humans and one's rebelling from the Jada Pickett Smith character. And like, like what? No, I don't care. Like, guys, like, let's just let the humans be on one team and they're fighting against, you know, against the robots. I didn't quite, I didn't, I, I still, I thought that that's like, I don't really care about that kind of stuff, guys. Like, that, that kind of stuff gets a little dull. Ultimately, and it's like I, I'm not involved emotionally enough in all of these political intrigue, you know, and these rebellions to to care about that. That's so true. I mean, it's at this point to have a general, or you know, pretty much, I'm gonna take your badge. You guys are right. desk duty. That that's done in every single right. movie, and you always know the good guy's gonna rebel against right. it. You know, you you know, hand in your ship. You have to wash it down. But why didn't they just throw him into the brig? You know, it's like go wash your ship so that way you could jump back in it and rebel again. Like, yeah, it could have definitely excised a lot of that internal struggle, you know, Naomi. They could have just said, oh, do what you need to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, cool. Well, let's uh, let's roll right along here. So um, the point. Okay, so I think I, I, think I led this sort of talking about how for me, they missed the point. They missed the point of, the original and i know maybe they were just being too irreverent and they were just being we're not going to give the audience or the studio or any damn person what they want we're going to do uh the most unexpected thing and we're going to deconstruct this movie in some kind of a postmodern way i i totally get that but you know actually i will say that i feel like that message gets lost in uh, at about the midpoint like, I feel like it starts off being about that, where it's talking about Warner Brothers and the video game and the Matrix, you know, and and then it kind of just goes into straight action movie and you kind of forget all about that. And so for me, that's not the message that they end up with. The message that they end up with, if I was forced to choose one, is kind of that, like, love transcends all dimensions, kind of like in the way that Interstellar did it, where, like, love transcends time and space. I feel like this was like love transcends the real world and the simulation. And as long as Trinity and Neo have each other, everything's going to be okay. And I get that that's nice, but out of all of the things that they're trying to blow apart expectations, they really landed on a trite <laughs> meaning to it all. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's kind of sweet and it's kind of romantic, but like, there's more. There was more to the original than just that. There, that was a, a beautiful part of the original, but then there was so much more. I don't know. What, was there any other point, or are the, did those points did they uh, land with you, or what? Well, I'll tell you the truth. The Merovingians' bizarre mm -hmm. scene. You know, remember the Merovingian appears, exiles come to attack Neo and the gang, and essentially they all look like they're you know living on the street, you know, with rags on their clothes versus the 
know, the stylish and, you know, very classically trained Merovingian from the previous movies. Now he looks like a street person. And he's essentially the insane street right. creature who is right. saying the truth out right. loud. Because as the fight goes on, the Merovingian's talking about how postmodernism essentially destroyed modern mm. entertainment because everything is so self-reflexive. Mm. So essentially, he goes on a rant about how books were better, movies mm-hmm. were better. Essentially, people joke that he's essentially Martin Scorsese of the film. Like Martin Scorsese jumped in and says, hey, these theme park rides are stupid. We have to go back to pure cinema once again. So I actually thoroughly enjoyed that point because at this moment, all movies have to be aware of their own genre convention. Mm-hmm. Back in the old days, you could have a movie that didn't reflect on the fact that there were other movies of the type before horror films 30 years ago such that horror films exist within the film itself now in a zombie movie people make jokes right. about zombies because they've seen them in right. media so self-reflexivity that we have in these new movies i think that was the point is that we're so self-reflective that we're missing the point overall we're focusing on you know essentially a cheap means of entertaining people by reminding them what they once right. loved so in many ways i thought this film actually fulfilled its own goals yep. in a way by telling us, giving you what you want, but we're not going to give you exactly what you want. We're going to regurgitate slightly, but we're going to mix in some new ingredients. So to me, the point overall is, yes, love does conquer all. You know, we can still be entrapped within our own matrix, even though we know how to free ourselves. That's essentially what modern life is like now. You know, when you think of 20 some odd years ago, the first matrix, that was what, hey, a 20-something that's stuck in an office job that's unfulfilling. Now, see a 50-year-old stuck in an office job that's unfulfilling. Things don't really change. Even though time goes by, the same desires and needs that we have as human beings are universal and still the same, in reality or non-reality. But I guess that's the overall point I saw, is that we always want love, we always want connectedness, and we are binary creatures. We want to connect and have that opposite make us whole i definitely saw that well yeah you know you know i i hate to say it but you kind of wonder like i guess i guess if from the movie's point of view i'm on the side of the studio executives who want to just refashion (laughs) and give the audience what they want and i hate to say it but you know i you know the wachowskis are almost going for the auteur uh, version of this where they're giving you something uh, almost like Godard, if you're going to go back to French New Wave, right? Where it's like he has like a contempt for the audience and he's going to not give you what you want deliberately. But you got to wonder if like, maybe the Wachowskis are just like burnt out and because they've lived with the Matrix for so long and they've heard all the things about it. And it needed to be with fresh creators who could, you know, remember the great things about the original, what made it work and do that for a new generation. I, I don't know. I hate to say it because I love the auteur. I love that Lana, it came out of her mind along with her, her sister's mind. And yeah. you want to, it's almost like when George, when Star Wars was taken away from George Lucas, or I guess when he sold it, you, you kind of, there's a kind of a sadness there, but at the same time, the prequel trilogy was pretty bad. So it's like, maybe it needs new blood. It's a tough, it's a tough call. I, you know, I haven't seen the new Spider-Man yet. You have this, 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 I'll ask you two questions. Does the Spider-Man movie follow more along what the expectations of an audience were? And then the second question would be, if it does, which did you prefer? The one that went along with expectations or the one that went against? 
Well, actually, I'll tell you the truth. The new Spider-Man movie went beyond my expectations. That was the best thing about it. Essentially, fan service at a multi-million dollar level. They have a $200 million budget, and they delivered fan service in the right way. They gave me what I wanted, plus more. And in many ways, this Matrix sequel, they kind of did the antithesis. They said, okay, we know what everyone wants, but we're only going to give them a little taste of it. Hopefully they want more. So essentially, I think this reboot, this is a reboot. Essentially, it's a soft reboot of the franchise. They change some of the rules. They want us to come back again. And if it's under someone else's hands, I wouldn't mind because they did reopen the world. They gave them a second mm -hmm. chance. That's essentially what this movie was. So just like the newest Spider-Man movie, they essentially gave fans a second chance to enjoy what they love the most about Spider-Man plus I more. See. So I think this is a stepping stone. You know, there's hopefully there's more to come. But I wouldn't mind seeing a, a proper conclusion to this new reboot. Got it. Interesting. Okay. Very interesting. Uh, well, Kurt, if you've seen it, uh, if you have any thoughts, use the raise hand option. I'd love to hear uh, what you have to think about um, Matrix uh, Resurrections. And as we go into. Wow. 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 Wow score time. Where we're going to give our wow score. Before we do, Kurt would like to say something. Uh, yes, Kurt. I was, a, it was, it was, so, uh, you know, it was the Matrix. It was the movie I expected to see, but it was, um, I had to force myself to accept certain things or too many things. I had to force myself to accept that right. uh, I wasn't really understanding. Um, and that's what was throwing me off somewhat. But, you know, again, it, it left you hanging in the end, like what's going to happen, you know, that type of thing. But, right. um, you know, and then Neil was w very weak in this one, I noticed, too. Um, yeah, I couldn't fly, you know, stuff like right. that. You know, what, why? Right. <laughs> you know, right. I think weird. that, yeah, I think that, I think that he was like older and, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. But I, and I think that uh, maybe he, they didn't want him to give him all the superpowers because I always felt like after the first one, it's like, well, what do you do when the guy can fly and stop bullets? It's like, where do you go from there? So maybe they kind of wanted to start him a little bit weaker again. So, okay, be Kurt, before we, before we let you go, what is your wow score? What do you give it out of 10? Oh, seven, seven. I guess. Okay. Interesting. All right. Thanks for the thoughts, Kurt. Um, why don't Why don't you go ahead, Futurosity? What did What do you give it? Well, overall, there's a certain theme that did disturb me in many ways with this movie. Also, things I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I did not like you know, the the notion of you know refusing treat proper treatment for mental health as an option to find freedom. I, I didn't like that theme, and also um, the use of suicide as a solution. Um, that is one sci-fi trope I always find very dangerous, and I usually dislike it. Because essentially, Trinity and Neo, they had a point where they were backed, you know, they were backed against the wall. They had no other options, either to get captured or to risk jumping off a building, the possibility that they'll either fall to their deaths or fly. Um, that's a sci-fi trope I've seen reused many times over. Essentially, someone has to put their lives in jeopardy and cross their fingers if something works out did disturb me in many ways. I understand that this is a work of fiction, but um, overall for my score, I do have to drop it down a little bit because of some of those um, somewhat dangerous themes I found in the film. Overall, I did enjoy it. Um, they gave me a little bit less than what I expected, but I found other things I could attach to and find enjoyment out of. So I would give it a solid seven. A solid seven. 
had a good time. It was enjoyable. And I rewatched it three times in a very short period of time. I normally wouldn't do that for a movie I didn't love. Right. Well, you know, there you go. It's a, you know, I, I thought you were going to give it a nine and a half or something. But you, you gave <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So for me, um, I like I said before, I love the style. The style was so cool. Um, the uh, some of the deepening of the mythology and the changing of and updating of the mythology was super cool. Uh, in the end of the day, though, it was too clever for its own good. And in a certain way, it loses a little bit of um, a connection with the audience because I almost feel like it's like it was like Lana Wachowski being a filmmaker and freeing her mind for what a sequel needed to be. And so in a certain way, she was Neo. You know what I mean? But that's so much less relatable to an audience because how many of us in the audience are filmmakers who want to wake up to be free to to express yourself in a new way. Most of us are trapped in our day job, trapped in our cubicle, you know, have a boss that we hate in a relationship that's bad for us. And that is so much more universal and so many, so much more of a, um, of an allegory that could connect on a, on a more fundamental level with 99% of the audience that, you know, call me a simpleton, but I just want them to give me what I want and that's it. And so they didn't do that. And again, after Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions, they just weren't giving me what I wanted. They were constantly doing all these other things. And I thought this was their chance to redeem themselves. I did not feel that they redeemed themselves. And so I, too, though, give it a seven. And I think it had it was very well done. The acting was great. You know, some of the sequences are really cool uh, and it looked it looks super stunning. It had a great irreverent sense of humor. But in the end of the day, uh, a little dissatisfying. And there you have it. I I totally agree with all of that. I totally agree. And one other thing about the visuals, I did notice a downgrade in the visual effects. Mm. That's one thing I did notice where this felt a little bit lower budget of sorts. And the fight sequences weren't as wow-worthy like the original movies. Um, obviously, it's different fight choreographer, you know, different team members in the stunt team. I mean, all those guys are in their mm. 50s by now, but they're not able to do the same stunts like they used to. But, um, yeah, I definitely noticed a slight downgrade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. Well, there we go. So that is the grand finale to Matrix Month, uh, Futurosity. It has been so awesome having you here and talking with you about these movies. Uh, I, I so, so enjoyed it. Kurt, thanks for coming by. Um, and anyone uh, out there uh, in the Matrix or otherwise can find uh, us online. Where can they find you, Futurosity? Oh, you can find me on Instagram at FuturosityVR. Love to chat, hear your thoughts with me direct. Absolutely. And uh, thank you for teleporting in to this Worldcast of Simulation Nation. Whether you're with us in virtual reality, listening to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or watching in glorious Technicolor on YouTube. And remember to subscribe to our Instagram at The Simulation Nation, Twitter at SimNationVR, and our Discord server. Then join us next week for our World Builders in Alt Space 9 with Optic. It's going to be super fun. Uh, He's also going to give us a world tour, so be there. Until then, stay plugged, my friends.